0: Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you enjoyed the last episode about media. We use different types of agar or media in the lab, and they all have a different purpose. We have selective agar, we have differential agar, we have enriched agar, we have nutritive media. And like I just mentioned, they all serve a purpose. Blood agar, for example. Blood agar is the most popular one, most popular agar used in the lab. I mean, by popular, I mean the most commonly used one, right? Is it selective? Is it differential? What kind of media is it? Well, we know it's not selective. It can pretty much grow every organism. But it is actually differential, right? We can uh, observe the types of hemolysis in it, like your alpha, beta and gamma hemolysis and you remember what hemolysis is right so hemolysis is the lysis of red blood cells in the agar we have alpha we have beta we have gamma like i just mentioned so alpha is the partial lysis and by partial lysis um so they don't of course they don't completely lice so the agar turns like a green color beta is complete hemolysis so you should see through the auger and then gamma is the term that we use for no hemolysis so there is no change in the auger and then we take McConkie which is another type of media that we mentioned this one is selective and differential right so it is selective for gram-negative rods, and like I made a point on the last episode to mention to the students to make sure that you say selected for gram-negative rods, not gram-negative. Because, you know, if you're taking a test and you're saying selected for gram-negative, you know, you're saying that uh, Neisseria can grow on it, and that will be incorrect. So you have to be specific. You might end up losing points in your exam. And then McConkie is also differential for lactose fermentation. So colonies that are that ferment lactose will turn pink on the agar. And there are other types of media as well that are differential and selective for gram negative rods. We have your hectone, your XLD. They are selective for gram negative rods. Same thing, you have to be specific. You won't believe the amount of time of like students or um you know medical technologists in training like doing their their practicals uh doing their their clinical rotations they can still say gram negative but it is gram negative rods and then so hectone and xld it is differential also for lactose fermentation but instead of turning pink it turns yellow and also for uh, it is also differential for hydrogen sulfide production h2s so this is where when you have your your stool cultures when you plate your stool in there and um, colonies colonies are an h2s producer were turn black so that's that's one of the uses for that agar and of course, as we continue making more episodes and talking more about micro, and I will continue to uh, talk about auger. But now let's go to our to this week's episode: gram Right. So at this point in time, we all know our auger. Plenty of good uh, resources out there where you can review the types of auger. You know, plenty of textbooks, um, the internet. So now let's talk about Gram stains. So we got our sample. It came to the lab. We received it. We played it in the auger. And then we make a smear out of it. Right. What's a smear? It's just basically you put a sample on a slide to be looked at in the microscope for bacteria. How do you do this? Well, it varies on the sample type. Right. Like I mentioned before, you have a cut. They swap the area. Um, let's say you have painful urination. They collect a sample like that. They do blood cultures. So it, it all it all depends on the source type. So you have the swabs. The swabs. Some you know there are different types out there. Some might have a liquid, which is called Amis media which preserves the organisms, others might not. So if you have a swab and you receive a swab in the lab, you go ahead and, you know, you swab the first quadrant of your auger, and then you will streak it using the techniques that we mentioned in the last episode. And then if you have a, a swab with liquid, you know, nowadays we have the e-swabs, which have this amis this media. You can do two things you can either you can either swap the slide or you can vortex that sample to make sure that all the organisms they fall into the liquid you know they're in the swab and then they fall in the liquid and then you can add a drop to your slide and you can make your smear that way another type of sample that you can have is a body fluid Right, let's say you know you have a procedure. Sometimes you know you have like normally you have these types of fluids in your body, like you know, like pericardial, peritoneal, but then you have a a disease condition or a process that can cause a buildup of the fluid. And then you know they, they take out some of this fluid, we receive it in the lab, and then we put it in our auger. So with body fluids, we actually prepare the smear by um, something called a cytospin. So we add some drops to our device, like a funnel with the slide in it, and then we centrifuge it. And by cytocentrifuging, we actually bring in all the cells together. We, can, we're, we are concentrating that sample so we can look at it in the microscope. That's another way. Another way is if you have sputum bronchial washes. The sputum tend to be thick, so you put a swab in it, and then you swab that on your smear, on your slide. The bronchial washes, bronchial lavages, you put a drop of that bronchial lavage on the slide. So you see there are it just varies with the samples, so let's do a quick recap. If you have swabs, you can set it up Set up the smear two ways. You can either roll the swab on the slide, or if the swab has liquid, you can vortex and add a, few, you know, a drop of that liquid, of the Ames media on the slide. If you have a sputum, you can dip a swab in it, and then roll that swap on the slide. If you have a bronchial wash, bronchial lavage, you take that bronchial wash, that bronchial lavage, you know, you take a drop of it, and you add that on your slide. And then if you have body fluids, like I mentioned, we cy- cytocentrifuge them. Uh, we put a slide on a funnel Device and you can you can Google that. I mean, if you're in this field, you know what a cytos, cytospin slide is. And then you are by adding a few drops of this fluid, you are bringing the cells together. You're concentrating that sample, so you can see it better. This is a, a process that's actually very helpful when you're doing blood cultures. Sometimes you know, blood culture instruments they might be very sensitive. And when this flag is positive, you take out the bottle, you make the slide, you might not see anything. And then you perform a cytospin on it and then you might see. So if if the number of organisms is low at that time, you are able to see it better with a cytospin slide. And of course, like I mentioned, when I talk about body fluids, we have these fluids in our bodies, right? We have pericardial fluid, you know, which is lining the heart. We have peritoneal fluid, which is abdominal fluid, we have synovial fluid, which it's fluid in our in our joints. But when we have inflammatory conditions, you know, some sort of inflammatory process, these fluids build up. And then you go to the doctor, you have a procedure, they take it out, and then we culture in the lab to see if bacteria or any other organism is causing that infection. So that's what a body fluid is. And then of course, uh, you know about cerebrospinal fluid, CSF. We prepare the smear the same way with cytocentrifugin. And all this time I've been saying gram stains, gram stains, gram stains. What is a gram stain? Well, here's where I reference some of the textbooks. Just to put it in some nice words it's it's the principal stain used for the microscopic examination of bacteria it is one of the most important techniques in the microbiology lab and you cannot believe how important it is it saves time it saves you from getting into trouble um, if you're actually a, a medical technologist in micro you know this if you're a student just listen to this as you progress in your career. All these organisms sometimes they have similar morphologies, and so do not assume that because it grows on a certain plate, certain agar, it is a specific organism. The best example, it's white colonies. This is the most common mistakes, mistake that new texts, or sometimes not maybe not new texts, but that they don't want to take the extra time to do this. To do the Gram stain, see the white colonies. You assume that it is coagulase negative staff. You set up the ID that way, set up susceptibilities. You might get the wrong ID, and this is all because you didn't take the time to actually make a smear. White colonies can be sometimes, you know, Gram positive rods, yeast. So just to to put a visual on it, you're looking at a blood plate. you see some white colonies. You don't see anything growing on McConkie. So you say, okay, it is a gram positive, right? McConkie is selected for gram negative rods, rods. So say, okay, you, so you decide it is growing on blood that it it's white. Let's call a negative snuff. And I have seen this and I have seen texts take this to the next level. For those of you that are familiar with the Vitek instrument, once again, you know, Vitek is not paying me to say this. When you set up something that is not a gram-positive cocci on a Vitek GP card, it gives you Cocuria as the ID. That's like the default ID. I have seen text release this. So when you get a Kakuria, make sure you investigate, do a gram stain, And find out if you have a gram-positive cocci or not. I mean, coccura is a gram-positive cocci. Years ago, it used to be called micrococcus. But you have to make sure that it is actually a cocci that you are setting on that GP card. And it's very common. And it is all because you actually didn't take the time to do a gram stain. So it's a very important technique. So you went ahead and by not doing a gram stain, you release the wrong ID, you know, they write you up, you potentially altered altered the treatment of your patient. When all it took was, a, you know, a, a few minutes to do a slide and find out. So the gram stain is a very important technique. You know, uh, as far as being that important, you know, it's, It provides a mechanism for the presumptive ID of pathogens, right? Uh, And we'll talk more about this on the next episode. But if you see gram-positive coxine clusters, you start thinking staph. If you see gram-positive coxine chains, right, you're thinking strep. So, of course, you know, if you see yeast, you're thinking about candida or other fungi. So it definitely gives the, the provider an idea of what they might be working with based on the, on the ground stain. In addition, it also provides important clues as to whether you have a good quality sample or not. And this is very true with the sputums, right? All of you clinical microbiologists out there, you know that you have some guidelines in the lab depending on how many the rate of epithelial cells and we talk more about this on the next episode epithelial cells versus white blood cells so if you have greater than 10 epithelial cells you will reject your sample keeping in mind there are some exceptions of course you don't reject outpatients because it's it's hard to recollect a sample and you shouldn't you shouldn't reject babies of course I mean, you will still plate it, especially neonates. So it provides a clue of whether your sputum was actually a good expectorate versus a sample that's full of saliva, which will contain a lot of epithelial cells. So it's a a wonderful tool that you have as part of your workups in the lab. It, It is great. It starts providing a picture of what you have in your sample keep in mind that it should always correlate what you have in your gram stain versus what grows on your agar, but that's not always the case i mean sometimes the organisms are not viable you might have poor technique from the person setting up the sample so sometimes you might have a low a low organism amount and then it's not on it's not on until you actually get it on the agar that you are able to see if it's growing and you might not see it on the initial gram stain and those of you that work in microbiology you know this i mean micro is not black and white it is definitely gray a lot of times you know not everything translates so well and you might see something on the gram stain but then it doesn't grow on the plate that's just the way it is you know there are many factors involved in this so with the gram stains, bacteria, they just basically, they just stain either positive or negative based on the differences in their cell wall composition. And by positive and negative, um, you know, we'll talk about the components, but positive is a purple, negative is like a pink. So gram-positive bacteria, they have a thick peptidoglycan uh, cell wall. How does this affect the staining? Well it actually, your initial stain which is the crystal violet is purple. So it will retain that initial dye and then it will not get affected by the decolorization process. Whereas the gram-negative bacteria their cell walls are actually thinner. They just have a single peptidoglycan layer. So they actually when they, they get the first dye actually goes through and the bacteria do not retain it. And they end up retaining your counter stain, which is your saffronin, and that's pink. So that's the first thing, you know, when you're thinking about gram stains. You know, we heard these terms, gram positive, gram negative. So why are they gram positive? Why are they gram negative? It comes to their cell wall composition a thicker wall it grabs that first dye holds on to it thinner wall the dye goes out you end up you know keeping your your last stain which is the saffronin and that is pink our ground stain has many components but well, actually the, the many are four you have your primary stain which is crystal violet You have your mordant, which is iodine. And what the iodine does, it just, it it applies, you know, you apply it after your crystal violet. And it just chemically bonds the alkaline dye of your crystal violet to the iodine. So it just, it's like a fixative, it just fixes that purple stain. And then you have your decolorizer, which is an alcohol. And this is what distinguishes the gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria. So when you decolorize a gram-positive bacteria, if you do it properly, of course, your organism retains the crystal violet and it exhibits a purple color. If it's gram-negative, the organism will lose that crystal violet and then it retains the counterstain, exhibiting a pink color. The colorizers, uh, you have different kinds. Sometimes, you know, labs they make their own. There was a facility that I worked at, that I worked at, that they used to make a, a stronger one, and it was intended for blood cultures. Those of you working in the field, or maybe doing your clinicals right now, um, you know, of course, you know when you put that blood on a slide, it's very thick. So a good, strong decolorizer kind of helps you make sure that you properly decolorize your slide. Some texts say that it is too strong, but in my case, I, I liked it just fine. Because you have to keep in mind that if you you can either under-decolorize or over-decolorize. So if you under, your end product, which was supposed to be pink, stays purple. If you over decolorize, your end product was supposed to be purple, but you end up with pink. And this is definitely, as you know, the you know know the bacteria. So there's a difference between gram positive rods and gram negative rods. Their treatment, they have intrinsic antibiotic resistance, so you don't treat them all the same. So you have to make sure that you're doing a proper procedure, so you can report the proper gram stain. A lot of times, you know, depending on the condition of the patient, you put that gram stain out there, doctor might start the treatment. So then you if you end up reporting the wrong bacteria, the patient you know might end up getting the wrong treatment. And this is a very serious business. We have to make sure that we do quality work because we are aiding the provider so much with our work, so we have to make sure that we do the correct work. So, and then you have your counter stain, which is your saffronin, which is a red, and that's what gives the bacteria that, that pink color. And before we actually get to the procedure, let me just circle back. You know, we talked about how you make your smears, depending on the source, you have two types of smears. I just want to make sure I mention that you have your direct smear and you have your indirect smear. What I was talking about when you put your sample on the slide, you roll the swab, that's called a direct smear. This is just you're preparing your, your, your smear from the primary clinical sample that you receive in the lab. So this gives you a mechanism to identify the number of type of cells in a specimen like white blood cells, epithelial cells, the main organism. And then you have your indirect smear, which is your primary sample has already been processed in culture. So you played it on the agar, you incubated it, now you have organisms growing. And then you grab a colony of what's growing, and you make a slide of that. And that's called an indirect smear. So when you're reading on the On your benches like your wound bench, your urine bench, you are doing indirect smears because you already have the organisms uh, grown. You're not dealing with your primary clinical sample. I just want to make sure that everyone knows that. I just want to put it out there. So now we move on to our Gram-Stain procedure. So your slides are already made. Very simple when you're doing your indirect smear. You get some saline, you add a drop of saline on your slide, and then with a loop, you grab some of your colonies, and then you mix them with the saline and you let it dry. Depending on when you're dealing with indirect smears, you don't need much. Just a little bit of that colony. It's enough to make sure that to give you a nice gram stain. If you make it thick it might affect the way that you decolorize it. So you place that slide on a slide warmer for 10 minutes. And this is just, you're fixing your organisms to the slide. There are two methods that you do this. A lot of facilities, you heat fix them, which is you place it on the warmer, like I mentioned, for 10 minutes. Other facilities, sometimes, you know, smaller labs, Then we'll just fix it by adding some methanol and then do the procedure. So once your slide is ready, either it's been fixed by methanol or heat fixed, you remove it and place it on your staining rack. You flood your slide with crystal violet and you let it sit for one minute. Once that minute is up, you rinse your slide with distilled water. Then you will add your iodine and leave it for one minute. Rinse with water, then you will decolorize the slide with your with your ethanol or your, the decolorizer that your lab has for three to five seconds. this it takes a while. I mean it's just microbiology is all about practice. So with the decolorizing, even text with many years of experience, a lot of times we can either over or under decolorize. But with experience, you also kind of know, have a better idea of what you're looking at. So even if you mess something up, you know, in your staining, you know that something is up based on the way that the, the colonies look on the plate, uh, based on what you know about gram stains, you know, the cell arrangements. So sometimes, decolorizing, you can either do it the way they teach you. Sometimes, you know, you just grab the slide, you tilt it. Start adding a few drops until you see the purple wash away. Sometimes, you know, I find for me works better. My slide, my slide is flat. I just add the decolorizer, let it sit for three to five seconds, and then wash it with water. So once you've done this, you add your saffron in, and then you leave that for 30 seconds to one minute and then rinse it with water again. At this point in time you there's like bibulous paper, bib paper you put it there to dry your slide. Sometimes I've seen text that they, you know they use a little paper towel um, put it on the warmer for a few seconds to get away that excess water and then you are ready to look at it. It's a great it's a very simple procedure. There are several automated stainers that will do it for you out there. My advice to you new techs, it's that before you get to the automatic stainers, work on your technique. This is all about repetition. I keep saying it: repetition, repetition, repetition. You don't become a microbiologist overnight. It takes years of practice. Years of doing the same thing over and over and over again. So make sure that you get get a good handle on your technique. Before you start doing these automated stainers. I mean granted there are some huge facilities out there. That they produce so many gram stains. That it's definitely easier to put them all at once in an automated stainer. But you have to make sure that you know what you're looking at. Instruments can malfunction, right? The same way that we can actually over or under decolorize a slide. Your instrument can malfunction. You might run out of reagents, and then you might end up getting and the end your end product might be the wrong color of the stain. So sometimes, you know, I had I have seen like you end up with gram positive cocci that are they look pink. So I'm, I'm not a fan, I mean, I like my good manual technique. I think the one time that um, an automated stainer helped me was that I had this and that it just, and for those of you that know micro, acetylbacter can stain purple sometimes. You know, it is a gram-negative rod, uh, but it's, it's plump, it's coccobacillary, and it can it can stain purple, but we'll talk more about that down the road. I knew it was an acidotobacter, but it just it kept staining completely purple. And I put it on that automated stainer, and it actually came out pink. And I felt much better when I reported my result, and it wasn't an acidotobacter. So that's that's a positive experience that I have about an automated stainer. But hey. You know, we're all different. We work in different facilities. The important thing is that you make sure that you know what you're looking at. And my advice is just to work on your technique first. Make sure that you know the things that can go wrong. That you know that if something fails along the way, you know that something is off. So if you end up with purple bacteria, but... You know that it's pink, you, you are able to actually recognize this. But this just comes with experience, repetition. And I'll keep saying this along the way it's all about repetition. Well, my dear audience, this episode has come to an end. I hope you enjoy listening about Gram Stains. Next time we meet, um, I'll be going over how do you report the gram stains and the morphologies of bacteria. Until then, I hope that you know, enjoy your time off and continue doing your best at work. Keep that passion. What we do in this field, it's it has such a uh, an enormous impact on the patient's outcome we need to be sharp and we need to do our best at all times so be passionate be thorough and just and if you're like me just continue talking micro see you everyone